Spirit Radio Podcasts. The best of the morning show with Wendy Grace on Spirit Radio. I chatted to Andre Milurani during the week about visiting Sri Lanka and the Maldives. And he gave us some really great tips about getting the best value out of the Maldives, which traditionally would be seen as a very expensive place. He started off by telling me just a little bit about Sri Lanka and what it has to offer. It's a teardrop shaped island. It sits at the bottom of India. And yes, if you're thinking of traveling to the region and you're not sure about going to India or then pick Sri Lanka as your number one choice. It's, Sri Lanka is an amazing place because it has everything. It has the friendliest people, the best food, the scenery is incredible, it has wildlife. I think it has eight UNESCO World Heritage Sites. Um, so I, what I'd like to do, is, there's, a, there's a couple of things that you need to just sort of be aware of before you travel and that's maybe get those out of the way first. The, the sort practical, of side, of the practical things, yeah. side of things. So getting there, uh, what you need to do when you're there, uh, when you need to travel, and especially for the Maldives in Sri Lanka, it's really, really important. And then maybe we can just talk about okay, some of the so nice things. Okay, so get me about, there first. How do I so get there? So getting there first from, from Ireland these days is really easy because pretty much all the airlines that are flying in that direction are, are, are traveling via Sri Lanka and the Maldives. So the best way is Dublin via Abu Dhabi or Dubai, that's either with Emirates or Etihad, Turkish fly as well. Um, so that's a great way, and you can combine that obviously with a stopover in the UAE if you wanted to. So that's a that's a cool way of doing. If you just wanted to do Sri Lanka, say, and the stop in Dubai, that's fab. So the airlines, price-wise, you're looking between five and eight hundred euros for a return flight via. So that's a good way of doing it, and you're obviously in and out of Colombo. Uh, no visa required. Well, actually, there is. It's an online visa, so you need to just it's get on. It's a pretty easy process, though. Is it? This is fifteen euros. You go online, you do an e visa, um, but no inoculations required. Really, malaria free. So it's a place that you can travel to if you're worried about Zika. It's a place that you can travel to if you have kids. Uh, so that's all good too. The one thing that you need to take note of uh, for Sri Lanka is. Uh, it has two distinct rainy seasons. Sri Lanka is split in half weather-wise by a mountain range that runs through the middle of Sri Lanka. And it means that it has a northern and a southern monsoon. And it means when I'm talking rain, I'm talking not inches or centimeters, I'm talking meters of rain. So the southern half of the country has its monsoon from May till, let's say, September. So over our summer period is when it's wet in the south. And then the rest of the year, it's, it can be raining in the north. So you can go to Sri Lanka all year round, but you need to kind of pick the right part of the island to go at the right time. And if you do that, you're going to have a fabulous trip. And that applies the same thing to the Maldives. The Maldives traditionally will have its rainy season May, June, July, August, September. It's low season, can be very wet, can be raining for a week. So I'd be wary if you're going at that time of the year. Obviously, with the weather changing at the moment, it's a little bit more difficult, but it's an, it's something to consider. But obviously, rates are much lower then. And how do you get to the Maldives from Sri Lanka? What's the easiest way to it's, do it? It's a quick hop. So Air Sri Lanka and all those airlines that I just mentioned, they fly too. So it's a 40-minute flight from Colombo to Mane. And then um, to pick an island in, in the Maldives is probably the most difficult thing that you're going to do. Because How many there's 1,500 there? islands in the, in, in the chain and lots of them are inhabited. So my advice to everybody is... Um, it's price. The Maldives, everybody says, you know, the Maldives are really expensive, but it doesn't have to be. So if you go shoulder season, like I said to you before, or after the high season, Christmas obviously is peak in the Maldives. Um, the the thing about the, 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 the knack about the Maldives is that every resort looks exactly the same. The, the Maldivian government stipulates how they can be built and what they need to be looked like and the materials. So it doesn't matter what the island is, they all look the same. They just vary in luxuriousness. So when you look at the islands, and if you visit 20 of them at the time, by the time you've done the third one, you've you forgotten what, them, the, yeah. what the first one looks like because they all look exactly the same. So it's the operator running the island is what you're paying for. 
So if you use a local Moldavian operator or a Sri Lankan operator, you can get something for a quarter of the price than, let's say, if you're using a Hilton or a Sheraton or an Oberoi, which costs probably six or 20 or even a thousand times more than what you get. So if you pick the right resort and the right region, you can actually have a really affordable, and they obviously combine fantastically well Sri Lanka and the Maldives. And I would do Sri Lanka first, do all the travel bit, and Finish then do the Maldives the if you want to do a, a beach. And you're looking for that crystal clear white beach snorkeling with turtles, all that sort of thing. That's the Maldives. It is amazing. So how do you how do you do that? Take the task on of finding the right operator to go to so the Maldives. The best advice from my own experience, having traveled Sri Lanka extensively, is it's a really difficult place to get around and if you're using public transport, and it's certainly not a place I would drive. So the way to travel, and I think it's the way that you did it as it well, did, yeah. is that you have a driver. So when you get into Colombo, you meet your driver, and they generally tend to be driver guides. They sort of just drop you off, let's say, at the Sigiriya Rock Fortress, and then they see you four, four hours later when you come back, that sort of thing. So it makes traveling in Sri Lanka really easy. And if it's you really have somebody, affordable, isn't it? It is, exactly. So the way to do it is to have a driver and then to, to pick an itinerary. And then it's really what you're into. And if you're into wildlife, or if you're into beaches, if you're into whale watching, food, surfing, uh, adventure, if you want to do the, 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 the mountain Adams Peak or something, whitewater rafting, it really just depends on what's on your bucket list. And depending what you want to do, you can then put an itinerary together. And I think less is more in Sri Lanka. I would spend two or three nights in one place and move on to the next one rather than try to do a whirlwind and see everything. The best of the morning show with Wendy Grace on Spirit Radio. I chatted to author and farmer John Connell during the week about his bestseller. It's been 21 weeks in the best-selling authors list here in Ireland. It's called The Cow Book and it's about life on a family farm in Ireland but it's about a lot more than that. Things like mental health and spiritual health as well. The first thing that John started talking about was just the connection that he feels that Irish people have to the land. As Irish people we have a sort of a, a, an weakness for the land. We have a connection to it and I worked with uh, Aboriginal people a lot in Australia and they had the same way of looking at uh, looking at the world as we did and the place that you come from certainly as a, as a farmer but also as an Irish person the land that you come from it helps you understand where you are in the world and I think farmer or or not uh, as an Irish person we connect back with where we're from and um I suppose for me coming back it, it, it felt uh, it gave me a sense of peace and um, also then with the farm itself a sense of purpose. In terms of then just the type of farming that you do tell us a little bit more about your own farm John. Well it's a mixed farm it's uh, beef and sheep um, we've been at sheep for the last four years and then we've been at, um, at cattle for about uh, 35 years now um, my mother and father are both from farming families um, my father was born up the fields but um, uh, they actually built this farm themselves and um, yeah we've been running it for 35 years and we all farm in partnership now and uh, you know we've we've enjoyed the good weather as much as everyone else we, we got hay for the first time in four years and, and we've we have our silage saved, but of course now, <laughs> now we're looking for a little bit of rain as well. Exactly. But, yeah. uh, but um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a way of life, it's what I know, and I suppose the farm is what put me through school and college as well, so I'm, I'm, I'm very eternally um, tied to it. I'm sure as well, John, that your family are very happy that you've come back to farming, because is that a big issue nowadays where, uh, the, where the family farm traditionally would have continually kind of been passed on from generation to generation, but where uh, the next generation now aren't as often kind of keeping on the tradition? 
Yeah, look, it's um, you know there's there is a flight from the land in certain places, and and it's about trying to keep uh, young people there. But uh, you know, I worked um, I worked in the farming world for the last few years, and I, I did meet some really amazing young people. So uh, I'm not going to say this is a, a total flight from the land. There's lots of young people who want to get involved in farming, but it's about enticing them. And of course, um, you know. Um, as a suckler farmer, a beef farmer, you, you more than likely have to take a second job. So um, it is, as, as the government might call it, a way of life or whatever, but, um, you know, you have to be prepared to be able to, to work a job and farm as well. Um, you know, it's the only there's only a few full-time farmers near us. Um, we are one of them, but um, it, it, it is a tough way of life. Um, so it's a, it's a difficult thing. But uh, we have to attract new people into the industry because uh, without, uh, you know, we might be farming animals, but really it's a human, it's a human business. Tell us a little bit, John, then about the book and why you decided to write it. Uh, yeah, well, um, I came back to Ireland uh, three years ago uh, on the preface to, to become a writer. And in the process, I, I became a farmer. Uh, I, was, I was working on the family farm and um, my agent suggested to me that Perhaps uh, the book would be uh, something that I could look at, maybe writing about being, you know, our cows and, and the farm. And I thought, oh, Jesus, well, who'd be interested in that? And, you know, it turns out now... Lots of people tw- are. Lots of people are, yeah. 21 weeks later in the bestseller list, uh, lots of people are. And um, I suppose, you know, I'd went through... Um, I'd went through a sort of a dark night of the soul as well. I'd had some mental health problems and people might have uh, seen me talk on television about that. But it was in coming home that I sort of reconnected with my life and my face and also um, nature and, and, and nature is a great healing thing. And um, So in the book, it's not just the story of cows on a farm, it's the story of a man falling in love with life again after a dark time and, and finding new joy and new purpose uh, in his world. And I suppose that's what has attracted people to the book Um because farmer or not, we all know, uh, we all we all have known tough times or we know someone who's went through tough times. So um, I think it's the joy that's in the book that has attracted people to it. And I think, John, a lot of people listening might be able to identify with some of your story, but maybe there's people listening uh, that are in the first phase, you know, in that, in that darker phase and thinking, wow, I'd love to rediscover that joy, that lust for life um, mm. that you have discovered. Uh, there isn't really a recipe for it, or is there? <laughs> no. No, there's not a recipe. I mean, um, all I can say is um, I was someone who took a lot of journeys in my life. I, I, was, a, I was a journalist, I was a documentary maker, so I got to travel around the world. But really the most important journey uh, that we all have to make is journey inside. Um, and that's that's a difficult one. You can't get a, go to Dublin Airport and get on a plane and say, well, I'm going inside. Uh, it's, it's a journey that takes time and I suppose for those who are in a dark place, it's about um, acknowledging that, you know, things aren't right at first and then accepting it and then saying, well, I'm going to do something about it. So falling in love with life comes in many forms. You know, number one is uh, having a good relationship with yourself and the people around you becoming uh, becoming an active person. For me, uh, nature and exercise were really important. So being in the countryside really helped. And, you know, you hear a lot of people say rural isolation is a big issue, but for me that was never the case. I happen to live in a really close-knit rural community where everyone is very tightly bound together. So the local uh, really helped because 
we're a social animal and we need other people to to be in our lives to take us out of ourselves whether it's you know going to a football match or going to mass or whatever it is but it's it's about being out there and meeting people um you know the journey inside is a is a difficult one but one must know that this too shall pass and and uh, the darkness uh, it's always dark before the dawn and you just have to hold on because the dawn always comes the best of the morning show with Wendy Grace on Spirit Radio. David and Stephen Flynn of The Happy Pair joined me in studio earlier on in the week to talk to me a little bit about their latest cookbook appearing in a Netflix series. Uh, but first of all, they started off by talking about their connection to Jamie Oliver. It was really on the back of um, we were we got an email from Jamie Oliver about two and a half years that, ago. Yeah, yeah to you see were doing we, the YouTube stuff. Yeah, food tube. So we we didn't do YouTube before that, and then we thought, actually, why not? You know, you don't get an email of Jamie Oliver very often. So he asked us to shoot two videos a week, you know, and upload them. Obviously, ours was all veggie and healthy and dads and whatever. So for the last two and a half years, we've shot 500 videos. And on the back of that, we got so much feedback about what people like. We developed our five-minute dinner series, which was, you know, I didn't know we could cook a dinner in five minutes. You're but just trying to be- beat Jamie's 10-minute meals. Well, it was, no, we set a stopwatch and it was just <laughs> five minutes from start to finish. And it was two of us, obviously. But in this book, we turned them into 15-minute dinners. And then we kind of have other sections like in this book, which is uh, we people always say it's so expensive and it takes so much time. So we set ourselves the challenge. We said 20 euro for the full week for food, one hour prep to cook enough food for seven days. And we've got a good few meal plans from that. We have a two week health reboot. We have uh, a full section on plant based meats, which is like vegan steak, vegan doner kebabs, vegan chicken nuggets, just kind of play food for people to get. But the whole the whole idea of the book is to try to make it easier for people to eat more veg because most Irish people don't get enough fiber. And we get fibre, you know, fibre has three functions in our body. It's for elimination, it's for weight loss, and it's for our immune system. And most people don't get enough. Like, not probably, like, the only research is that eight out of ten Irish people, but it's probably more is like Is that 90%. from not eating enough green veg and things eat, like that? No, no not, even not eating enough fruit and vegetables. Full so it's stop. like everything. So it's like we're eating too much Western, too much animal food and too much refined foods. And the whole idea of the book was to make it easy and accessible and not to make anyone vegetarian or vegan, but just to make us, as a nation, we need to eat more vegetables. And this whole idea of cooking from scratch, there was a lady in the paper today turned 103 and she puts it down to eating food fresh she said I never ate anything out of a tin Brilliant. I thought that was I really really that. interesting nice, um, in, in, in terms of that and that idea of uh, you know that it's really expensive and all that sort of stuff I I think nowadays when you can get your you know super six or super five whatever it is of fresh fruit and veg I mean you just throw the ingredients into Google and amazing recipes come up Yeah. Um, do you think we're getting a bit more eclectic in Ireland in terms of things using uh, different types of spices and herbs and even different types of vegetables and pak choy I mean that wasn't on Irish shelves 10 or 15 years ago when okay. we first started the fruit and veg shop back 14 years ago most customers were kind of older ladies looking for your cabbage to go with their bacon and cabbage and then kind of people suddenly started getting into peppers and asparagus and kind of more more exotic foods as they became more widespread yeah even back 14 years ago we used to sell pallets of potatoes because people ate so much potatoes and now no one really buys potatoes people buy a lot, like they eat a lot more pasta they eat a lot more as Stephen was saying asparagus and different kind of greens and there's a lot more peaches and nectarines and you know fancier Watermelon. fruit whereas before it was you know it was a lot more apples and bananas and satsuma was kind of exotic or a clementine and fancy grapes whereas now it's really kind of moved on to where and also I find because Ireland is becoming thankfully much more multicultural li- near to me for example there's a fabulous Indian shop that's got all these 
really really cool Indian spices the harissa paste all that sort of stuff which I absolutely love going in there so uh, for somebody who hasn't read one of your cookbooks before what can they expect if they were going to try one of your recipes before they're a bit nervous maybe kind of used to as you're saying doing the the meat and tooth veg and all that sort of stuff and thinking I'm not sure if I'll be any good at it are they difficult recipes to follow? No I would think the whole purpose in this is quick and easy so I think they'd be very surprised that oh well that was easy that was quick oh that tasted really good and she's little Billy ate it and Porrig ate it you know and but I think that would be our hope and our expectation with the and book. it's so quite cheap like if you think about it you rarely leave the supermarket going jeez that broccoli was mad money you know vegetables typically are the cheaper part of most shop it's normally kind of the other elements that are more expensive them are the size of this room and they're or just bigger. encourage creativity imagination and just back to basic it's not screens it's not flashing lights it's like you actually have to use your imagination so last yeah, time we were talking about being YouTube stars now it's a Netflix documentary that you're featuring and tell us about this uh, so th- this is really fun once again we got a random email to see if we wanted to be part of this Netflix show and it's this guy Phil Rosenthal is his name he was the writer and producer of this show called Everybody Loves Raymond which was the best grossing comedy show I think in the US huge and it's yeah. a yeah. massive one yeah. so, so he kind of got a license to do what he wanted after that and he said oh well I'd like to do a show with my family where we go travel around the world and eat in the best places and hang out with really fun people so this show <sighs> is called somebody, that's, that's a kind of nice job it's a pretty good show so uh, his show is called Somebody Feed Phil so literally he's going around looking, going to kind of places which he's interested in some of the best places and he's going getting fed and they did an episode in Ireland where they picked I think, I think it was three I don't know how many restaurants but they picked us we were one of them so they came and hung out with us for a day and filmed all sorts of stuff and they rocked up with massive cameras and a full big crew and, but uh, it's great in that it features Greystones and kind of a number of people from the town and it's as much a tourism thing as it is a food thing kind yeah, of because it's because it's Netflix global so it's all over the world so it'll be what, okay let's say for somebody who's reading about all this stuff about gut health I got really into it when I had my son I was breastfeeding and reading all about the virgin gut and all this sort of stuff and how important that was um, but then of course I started to think about my own gut yes. and as we start to learn more about these things and you're thinking jeepers well I've Uh-oh. been eating a lot of rubbish for the last 30 odd years uh, can you actually reverse Massively. the effects on that by doing stuff well, like eating fermented foods drinking fermented so, foods so it's often said we have 10 trillion human cells and we have 100 trillion bacteria so we're more bacteria than there we are, are human and our immune system is a direct function of the biodiversity or the variety of different bacteria we have so the more bacteria we have the stronger our immune system so it's really important in that and one of the main foods that our bacteria feed upon is fiber and you only get fiber in fruit veg beans legumes and whole grains so so we we need to eat more fiber for that reason so yeah. fiber it doesn't have to be all about um kefir and no. fermenting no. well i think fermented foods are great because they encourage different bacteria and i guess they say there's so many studies now linking your mental health and depression and correlating that to your gut health because certain bacteria will affect your moods you know this well that's, that's interesting research in ucc because obviously it's called recipes for happiness yeah. and you know there is as you said a lot of research that shows just the the effects that too much sugar can have on our moods as you said but also just about emotional eating you know when we're eating the bad stuff and it's not often because we're hungry a lot of the time is that another kind of hope is that if people are eating better that they'll actually be feeling better not just physically but mentally as well definitely I think diet massively affects our mood yeah. yeah, and I think you know we all say you know the afternoon slump. You know we all turn to a chocolate bar. We turn. Yeah, to I was going to say you must have a guilty pleasure though. Of course, of course, but I think we forget that our primary fuel source is actually oxygen. It's movement. So I think as a species, we got to move more. We got to drink more water, and then try to eat more fiber, more whole food. The best of the morning show with Wendy Grace on Spirit Radio. 
Thanks for listening to our Spirit Radio podcast. Don't miss out. Subscribe today. Find out how at spiritradio.ie.